I want to uh, start this morning by getting straight into the Word, and we're going to go to a book that we probably don't go to very often, Haggai. It's a really small book, conveniently located exactly where my uh, marker is, probably not for you guys. Um, So if you want to turn to Haggai, that'd be great. It's just, if you go to the New Testament and kind of go back a bit, you'll find it. Um, And while you're finding that, I just want to bring a little testimony, actually. Um, a few weeks ago, Ruth, uh, when she was preaching, she talked about loving the word, and I love technology. Like those of you that know me, love I know, know I love technology. I have iPhones, I've had an iPad, I've got a computer, a Mac, we've got our houses connected, we've got a Wi-Fi router that obliterates the neighbor's Wi-Fis. Um, but I was really challenged to get something that I loved, to get a, a Bible that I loved. And that I'd pick up and I'd write in. And I went out and I bought this. And it's brilliant. Like I've had the, uh, I've had the Bible on my iPad for, and my phone for years. And that's how I've read it. But I've gone through plans and I've kind of flicked to the same thing. And the minute I picked this up, I said, God, where do you want me to go? And I opened it up and this is where it fell. Which is a book that I guess we don't normally turn to. Um, so yeah, they're just, that's just a testimony of what happens when you listen to God and listen to your wife. Uh, so we're going to start this morning by reading chapter 1 of Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, sorry I'm in the ESV. Um, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns a wage, wages does so to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you bought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labours. Wow. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. 
And we'll leave it there for now. You know, the, the question to the people of God here is, what are you building? The question is, what are you building? And uh, I believe God is asking us the same thing. God is calling us to be a part of building his kingdom, both individually and here in Huddersfield. God is calling us to be a part of building his kingdom and to see his kingdom extended across the world. And I believe God's given me a word, and I'm really excited all about what we are building. And it fits perfectly in line with the second part of our mission statement, which is living in love. But I'm not going to bring that this morning. Because we're not quite there yet. And I believe it's been confirmation what's come this morning. Um, me and Trevor were chatting, and he said, so we want to stay in the first part for, for a couple more weeks. And so I found myself a little stuck. I was like, I've got this word, but not bring it yet. And so I began digging a little bit more. And I, that verse 13 just flew out of me. I am with you, declares the Lord. And as I was praying, God said to me, before you can know what to build, you need to know why and how you can build. You know, at first, this doesn't sound entirely rational to me. I like to make, we, you know, you know, we like to make a plan. And, um, I want to find out what I'm building. And then I want to build it. I want to put the plans in place and I want to build it. And, and but, um, you know, if I decided to build a wall in my house, first of all, I'll get in trouble with my landlady. Um, but if I decided to build a wall in my house, I might work out what I wanted to do. I might go on YouTube, watch a few videos, go away, kind of work out, buy the things, maybe get a few friends around, try and build a wall. But it's not very good. It's not my gifting. This is a picture of me doing DIY in our house. If you can see that. That's me posted across the stairs trying to hammer a uh, nail into the wall. DIY is not my gifting. Decorating and calling are not... Uh, not de- decorating and DIY are not what I'm called to do. Um, <laughs> and I reckon the finished article, if I did it, would be okay. Probably because I'd have people like Chris and Si around to help me. Um, but it wouldn't be perfect. And it would take me longer. And it probably wouldn't be that safe. And it wouldn't be qualified. It wouldn't be signed off. If I wanted a proper job doing, and money was no object as well, I would call in skilled craftsmen that would get the best finish. They'd find out exactly what I want, and they'd get the best finish. They'd do it a lot quicker, theoretically. And at the end of it, they'd sign it off, because they'd be qualified. So this morning, we're going to look at what allows us to build, and how we build. And then in a few weeks' time, we're going to look at what we build. So, unusually, I'm going to start by telling you my three points. And I want you to remember them. And I want you to remember them in this, this order because it's really important. The first one is identity. The second point is calling. And the third point is equipping. And it goes in that order. Identity, calling, equipping. Identity, calling, equipping. Let's say it together. Get it in. Identity, calling, equipping. So let's dig further into the word. Let's go to Matthew 3. 
which is a few pages on. I'm going to be in the NIV this time. So this is Jesus when he gets baptised. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So here he is. Jesus, the Messiah, the miracle maker, the leader, the preacher, the one who died on the cross. Here he is. But at this point, he isn't any of those things. He hasn't done anything. But it's at this point that he comes to be baptised. And as he's baptised, his identity is confirmed. The father says, this is my son whom I love. The message puts it like this. It says, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. I love that. Delight of my life. The father loves the son before he does anything. Now, I've got two kids, and I don't love them because of what they do. Sometimes I love them in spite of what they do. But I don't love them because of what they do. I love them because they're my kids. I didn't make them do anything before I accepted them. I didn't get them to pass a test or anything. I didn't ask them to clear the dishwasher out. I accepted them into my family because they're my kids, and I love them. And that's how our father is to all of us. You know, it's absolutely critical that we, before we try and pursue our calling, before we try and move in gifting, that we know that the one who calls us and enables us thinks that we're amazing, that he loves us, and that's our identity. It's critical that we know who he says we are. We are his children. That is our identity. And when Sue's brought that, water, brought that word about the water, that's... That's the water. That's our our identity. Is is what keeps us going. It's, it's what fills us. It's his him him talking about how great we are. Him telling us all the things he's done in our lives. Him telling us we're children of God. It's that those things that just stir you and keep you moving. So stage one identity. So where do we find out what our father thinks? We do it in his presence, and we do it in the river. I've, I've read this story many times, as I'm sure many of you have, and, and I've always kind of just just read through it. But I've, I noticed this time, verse 13, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. Now, Galilee is the place where Jesus does all his ministry. He, he bases himself when he does a large part of his ministry. It's the place where he's known as the teacher. It's the place where he's known as the miracle maker. But he left that place and he went to the river. He could have got baptised in the sea. There's the Sea of Galilee. He could have got baptised in the sea. You can get baptised in the sea. I know I did it. And uh, and it was quite cold. But you can get baptised in the sea. But he chose to go to the river. He chose to go to the presence of God. 
And I believe there's something really significant about this. When you're baptised, you're doing as Jesus did. You're being obedient. You are laying down your old life to take up a new life in him. It's a visualisation of the death and the resurrection that is occurring. But in the same way Jesus did, I believe we are also showing God that before we go any further, before I go any further on this journey of my life, before I go one step further, I want to come to your presence. I want to come and dwell where you are. You know, when we come to his presence, we see who he is, and then we know who we are, he, we know who he is, and he tells us who we are. Now, it's tempting to say, isn't it? But this is Jesus. He already knew his calling. He already knew his purpose. He was sent from heaven. So let's take a look at someone a few pages later that maybe we can relate to a bit more. In Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. We're going to look at Peter. Now, Peter is one of the main superstars of the New Testament church. If he was around now, he'd have a Twitter account with millions of followers. Um, He's one of the superstars of the New Testament church. He's one of the disciples. He's the Pentecost preacher. He wrote a load of the New Testament. But he's also a man with flaws, isn't he? And we, we see that throughout his journey. We see him deny Jesus. We see him get aggressive towards people. And in this, in this chapter though, we see what he think, thinks of Jesus. It says in verse 13, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I often wonder why Jesus did that. How many times did he say, then I tell you not to tell anyone? And then we read it in here. So this is where Jesus, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. But this is also where he gets his commissioning. This is where he finds out what he's building and even gets an insight into how he's going to do it. But before Jesus says anything about what he's going to do, First of all, he says, blessed are you. And then he says, you are Peter. Peter spent time in the presence of Jesus and the Father. He probably knew what Jesus' favorite food was. He probably knew where he liked to walk, what routes he liked to go down, what little shortcuts. He probably knew what he liked to talk about, maybe what football team he supported. Clearly, Manchester United. He spent time present. He spent time in the presence of Jesus and the Father. 
And when Peter confesses who Jesus is, the first thing that Jesus does is to confirm who he is. And if you want to know who you are, spend time finding out who Jesus is first. You can sing, you can read, you can worship, you can walk with him, you can talk to him, you can just spend time finding out who he is. Don't just spend time finding out what he says about stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that encourages us not to care what others think, isn't there? You know, find your own place in life and do this and don't care what others think. But we need to go after what he thinks. We need to go after what who he is. We find ourselves in him when he is found in us. You know, I want to encourage you with the word. We spend time reading the word and sometimes we spend it looking for answers. Now looking for answers is good and sometimes we have questions and we have to go to God and say, what are the, what's the answer to this? But I remember as a kid I had one of those study Bibles with like different you know, subjects and I might pick a subject and I might say, okay, God, what, what do you say about this? Or what do you say about this? Or what do you say about this? Find out who he is. Read it and discover his character. Spend time reading the word, not just to find out what he says about stuff, but find out who he is. Read the whole of the word. Soak yourself in his presence. That's how we find out who he is. And then he tells us who we are. And this is what happens to Peter. And when Jesus tells him who he is, then he tells him what he's called to, doesn't he? He says to him, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Wow, what a calling. We're all called. And that's our second stage, if you like. Second point, called. We're all called according to his purpose. We're all called to build. And next time I preach, I'm going to talk about what we're building. But we're all called to build. But our calling comes out of our relationship and our identity that is found in the Father. Not the other way around. Identity before calling. Now, about 18 months ago, I read an article online and uh, I managed to find it. And it's about footballers, uh, professional footballers, uh, retiring. And uh, I just want to read this to you because this, this is really interesting. It says, Ernest Hemingway wrote that retirement is the ugliest word in the language, and that can certainly be the case for many ex-footballers. With little or no support from the game to which they gave their lives, many end up with addictions, depressions, debilitating illnesses, behind bars, or even worse. For the majority of players, retirement is something that they're not prepared for, and lives can spiral into a rapid and depressing decline. Recent researchers by World's Players Union, FIFA Pro, revealed that 35% of former players face problems with depression and anxiety, particularly if they'd suffer serious injuries during their playing careers. This compares to about 13 to 17 in general population. 35% of former players face problems with depression and anxiety. One third will be divorced within a year of hanging up their boots. Mental health issues are often linked to a loss of identity. Many players liken the world of football to military life where they are told what to do and where to go 
Everything is planned for them and their identity is shaped around their profession. When it stops suddenly in their mid-30s, the transition to normal life can be difficult to deal with. You know, we, we watch these footballers, don't we, on telly, and we, we are amazed by their skill and we're amazed by them. But what happens when they stop? <laughs> we, don't, we don't find out. But this, I found this amazing. And it's because their identity is completely wrapped up in football. These, these guys get taken at the ages of seven and eight. They get spotted in a field. They get taken to an academy. If they're lucky, they progress through that academy or they get thrown out then. If they, they then get signed by a major team or they get thrown out then. They then spend their entire life playing football, training for football, getting on planes to go to football matches. They spend their entire life with that, getting money showered on them for being great at football. And then suddenly one day it stops. And their identity disappears. You know, we have to find our identity before our calling. Because our calling can change. Different places, different people, different jobs. There was a time when I was called to the south coast. I'm called to Huddersfield now. There might be a time when I'm called to go somewhere else. I've changed jobs. I've I've been with different people. My calling has, has changed and, and um, grown as I've, as I've gone on. But my identity as a son of Christ, a son of God, has never changed. You know, there's ups and downs, but giants fall at his name. And we end up chasing our calling, if we're not careful, we end up chasing our calling over and over again. And we can lose sight of who he is. And this can result in, in us burning out. There was a time, I haven't written this down, but there was a time a few years ago when, when me and Ruth did something five nights a week for the church. And we felt like that was our call, calling to do and we just went after that. But actually one day we realised that we were absolutely shattered. And we also realised that our identity had been in that. Our identity had been as youth leaders or as members of the worship team or as people who attended this meeting or that meeting. Do you know one of the main reasons I think we see people struggling sometimes with their faith? From new Christians to people who are leaders to people who've been Christians for 50, 60 years, one of the main reasons is because they're chasing what they do rather than who he is. That's not the way it should be. If we are staying in the river... If we're in his presence, then we're constantly being refreshed. And me and Ruth had a conversation recently, and we said, I said to Ruth, I feel like we're getting busy again. <laughs> I feel like God's like putting more stuff on us, yeah, giving us stuff to do, and, and I'm just, I don't want to be like that. And Ruth said, to, to, said we're not going to be, because we've let our identity be in him. Because we're going after him, not these things. You know, we need to guard ourselves Particularly in our church families, we need to guard ourselves, we need to guard each other. We need to reassess our language, I believe. We need to stop asking each other what we do and start finding out who each other is. Find out what things people have found out about God this week. Find out what God said to them, what he stirred them with. I want to challenge us. We're going to have new students. I don't know if we have any new students here this morning. I 
completely out of touch with the academic calendar. Um, and if you are here, welcome. But we're going to have new students here. And I remember when I was a new student, every person you met, it went like this. Hi, what's your name? Dan. What, where are you from, Dan? I'm from uh, this Hampton on the south coast. Oh, great. What course do you do? Music technology. Oh, like everyone else then. <laughs> but that's what people ask me, because it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to go through the, what do you do? But I want to encourage us, as people come in, as new students come here, let's find out a bit about them. Let's talk to them about who they are, not just what they're doing. Let's, do, let's invest time in who people are. We are called to be together within our relationships. You know, don't let your dreams guide your relationships, but let your relationships guide your dreams. As we invest in each other and our relationship with God, he will place things on our hearts. And once we know what we've been called to, God then gives us all we need, which is our third stage, equipping. Now, Peter gets handed something pretty cool. I will give you the keys of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Wow. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing gift. You know, God will always equip you with what you need to build and go after your calling. There's a great quote, it's right on the beginning of a song, um, on a, on a, I think it's on a Soul Survivor album that Tim Hughes says, and every time he says it, it gets me. It says, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. God will always give you everything you need to go after your calling and after the things he's put on your heart. And some things are already within you and some things will come. But as you spend time in the river, you will find out your purpose. And then I believe you will discover more things about yourself. Some things that you don't even consider to be tools for equipping. Maybe you're compassionate. Maybe you're wise. Maybe you have an eye for detail. Maybe you have the ability to just forget everything for 30 minutes and be really silly. Maybe you can build a wall. <laughs> Maybe you can make an awesome cup of tea. You know, we shouldn't compartmentalize our giftings. God gives a variety of gifts and, and it's tempting in the church to, look, to read the word and to find out the gifts in here and to think that this is all there is. And we can go to the Ephesians 4 gifts, can't we? The apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And we can go to that and we can go, oh, these are the giftings that God's got. And we can think of them as the special ones. But that's not what it says. It says in Ephesians 4, they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That means there must be more for everyone else. Because those gifts are just for the, for the equipping. They're just for building up the body. And once the body is built, there must be something that the body goes and does. There's gifts for everyone. There's, call, there's a, our calling and our gifts are for the benefit of more than just us. Jesus says, I will build my church. You know, putting gifting before our calling can result in a narrow-mindedness narrow and isolation. 
If you're a musician and you're really you're a really gifted musician, you know, you can play guitar really well and you can sing really well, and and you think you're oh, I'm really gifted at this. God wants to use me as a musician. Oh, I might go and audition for X Factor. And then you go to X Factor and you sign a record deal and, and you go on there and, and, and a few people hear your songs and you live this life and, and that's what you go after. Because you decided that God wanted to use your gifting as, as a musician. And that's how, you know, obviously that's how you do it. You make a record and you go out. But what if that's not what God's got for you? What if God wants to use your gifting to bring communities together? What if God wants to use your gifting to see people come off the streets? What if God wants you to get together a bunch of kids who are on the streets, bring them together and teach them music and get them to learn how to play their instruments and get them to breathe life into those kids that maybe don't have anything else? What if that's the way God wants to use your gifting? Let's not compartmentalise our gifting. Putting gifting before our calling results in that. It results in us focusing on the gifting rather than focusing on our calling. And you know, you may be part of the equipping for someone else's calling. You know, I talked earlier about about when we spend time together, when we spend time uh, chatting, when we spend time worshipping together you know when we do that and we find out each other's dreams we also find out that actually I can equip your dream and you can equip my dream but it all gets confirmed in the river you know I'm, I'm not going to read it now I don't have time but I love the story of stories of Elijah and Elisha and I love how we see the purpose and the gifting passed from one generation to the other. And that's an entirely different preach, but I love how it goes from one generation to the other. But you know, there's a point just before Elijah in two kings, there's a point just before Elijah gets taken away by God that they're stood at the river together. And Elijah does something. Elijah puts his staff in the river and the waters part and he walks through. And it's in, if you want to read it later, it's in 2 Kings 2. And he walks through and he stands on the other side and they have a conversation. And Elisha, Elisha says, I want double what you've got. And Elijah says, oh, you'll get it if you see me go, get taken away. And at that point, Elijah gets taken away. But Elisha goes right back to the river and says, where are you, God? Puts his staff down and the waters part. His calling and his gifting is confirmed in the river. It's confirmed in the presence of God. So, just to recap, find your identity in his presence. Then you will find your calling and then he will equip you with all you need. Identity before calling before equipping. That's how we build 